Alrighty. Hey, what hey. is up, everybody? Welcome to our weekly deep dive podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Griffin. I am the lead pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I am joined, as always, by our teaching pastor, Noah Randolph. A pleasure. And uh, our special guest, who's going to be a regular guest now, so you guys are going to get to, to see her uh, <laughs> every week, get uh, used to hearing a lot of wisdom from her. We've got Ashley Wake- Wakefield here with us. Hello again. <laughs> So, do you um, want to say a wake shield or wake, wake <laughs> Ashley wake, wakey field? I don't know. I'm messing up your name already, Ashley. I'm sorry. I do that all the time. Whenever <laughs> I hear somebody say the name, the word actually, I'm like turning around. Like, did you just say Ashley? Ashley? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, we got Ashley with us. We got Noah here with us. Um, if this is your first time tuning into our Deep Dive podcast, this podcast is just an opportunity for us to go a little bit deeper on some of the subjects that we have been covering in our Sunday services here at Wayfarers and also uh, just an opportunity for us to maybe go deeper on some subjects that are maybe let's just say touchy subjects that are hard to deal with in a sermon context or things that um, just take a little bit of nuance to really discuss. And today... And a lot of words. A lot of words too. (laughs) Today we definitely have one of those uh, subjects. We are talking about tithing um specifically uh we 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 talked a little bit in the last couple weeks about the relationship between church leaders and members of the church and when ashley came uh to join us last week uh, which you guys should definitely go check out that episode as well it was a really really good conversation one of the first things she mentioned to us was that she thinks a subject that's closely related to a lot of these is the issue of tithing if you haven't grown up in the church and you're not familiar with this churchy word tithing uh tithing is specifically the practice of um of giving money in in our context especially of giving money to the church and it's called tithing because it is connected to the old testament practice of taking um 10 percent or a a tithe is what it was called 10 percent of, of something and giving it to uh, the temple specifically is what the context was in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with ancient Judaism and um, the practices that they were involved in, um, tithing was something that they did not just with their money, but with like other things too. Jesus has an interaction with some followers of, of, uh, some Pharisees of his time. And he's pointing out that they even tithed, like the spices that they used to get. They would take 10% of their spices and they would uh, give those um, to the temple. Uh, And the whole practice was basically just an opportunity to practice generosity, an opportunity to give back. It was a way to fund the temple and keep the temple going. That's how the priests would eat and live is off of the tithe. Um, And it is a practice that has been extended forward here into the church age, into the Christian age as well, by a lot of uh, churches and a lot of congregations where they teach uh, practicing a tithe, which is giving 10% of your income in our context. And specifically for most people, it is giving that uh, income to the, to the church. The reason this is controversial, I probably don't have to explain why it's controversial. We all know people are always like, man, why are churches always trying to take my money? (laughs) Why are churches always like, I I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who don't go to church and they're like, man, the preacher's just always trying to take my money. He's always just trying to ask for my money. I earn this money. I don't want to give it uh, to the church. Why is it that every time I'm talking to a church, they're just trying to, to take money from me? So it's a, it is a, um, a touchy subject. We recognize that. Um, but we feel that it's one that would be helpful to, to, to do the deep dive on like we do on this podcast. So, uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk a little bit about it, talk about some of the controversy, talk about some of our ideas about it, maybe some of the biblical basis of it. And, um, just kind of do that, that deep dive on this specific topic. Before we, before we do that, did anybody have parents that like made you have an allowance and you had to like set apart 10% of your allowance? Oh my gosh. I've never had that, but I told myself that when I have children, I'm going to make them You're do that. You're going to make them yeah, do that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my parents did that to me. Like, we had, like, 10% for savings. We had 10% for tithe. We had all these envelopes, and you wrote them out. And, uh, yeah. So you like, get, you got an allowance. You got an you. allowance, and you immediately watched it go away. <laughs> watched it go away. <laughs> you had, like, some that was, like, for clothes. You had some that was for, like, uh, 
video games with so like your fun money and then you had like a envelope for like yeah, it's tithing and envelope for savings. It was like, yeah, you just. Okay, you gotta teach him how to like, you know, set things apart. Like, you know, give God what belongs to Him yeah. first, yeah. and then like learn how to spend wisely. Like when they're going out to purchase stuff, because I feel like that's very helpful when they become adults. Because there's a lot of adults that don't do that now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Did you, Nick? No. 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 <laughs> Um, you didn't get an allowance. <laughs> no, I, not really. I don't think I ever remember getting an allowance. But um, both my family and me personally have always had a very hot take attitude towards tithing. That's very mm -hmm. different from a lot of uh, the evangelical church. So um, it just wasn't as big a, de a thing in my house mm. as it might have been in other households growing up. But uh, but we can deal with that later. I don't want to just immediately hit you guys with my like tithing hot takes. Um, I wanna I wanna just start out with a kind of. Hopefully, I laid the groundwork a little bit. Hopefully, we got a little bit of an intro there for those that might not be familiar with the topic. But like I said, this is something that uh, I know Ashley is super passionate about. So I just want to turn it over to you, Ashley. How, how do you wanna How do you wanna start the conversation? What was kind of one of the main things on your mind as it relates to tithing? Well, there's so many different aspects to it, but something you said um, did kind of make me want to start off a conversation with that specific um, topic is that um, sometimes, you know, people make their living off of that. Mm -hmm. And I know, um, you know, because I, I don't work in the back of a church, so when people are dividing right. up the tides and everything, I don't know exactly every little piece that it goes to, especially now because our church is still, you know, closed due to COVID. So, you know, right. we're, I'm definitely, you know, not in the forefront of everything, but yeah, some people do make a living off of that. And I think that, um, and it was actually interesting, me, um, me, Garrett and China actually went to a party on a Sunday and there was a conversation we were having with the young lady there. I think she was in her 20s, like 25 or something. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that, you know, she doesn't understand why people need to get paid to do that kind of stuff. Like if you're preaching, pastoring, yeah. anything related to like, why do you have to get paid for that? And I think a lot of people don't look at those type of positions is work positions. They just look at it's something as charity and it is charitable. I don't mm -hmm. think that you should have the attitude that, well, I'm not going to do this if you're not going to pay me. Because at the right. end of the day, if your heart is in the right place, you're going to do, you know, what God is calling you to do, you know, regardless of what you do. Cause you know, I do certain things for, you know, God that I don't get paid to do. Like when I do, when I do teaches at my, when I do Bible studies at my church, you know, nobody pays me for that. I just do it because I love to do it. Yep. And I think, you know, even Paul talks about, you know, how, you know, you know, not muzzling. Um, there's a verse talking about not muzzling the ox to mm -hmm. tread out the grain. And I know that in Second Thessalonians 3, um, chapter 3, starting down at verse 7, it says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So I think the idea that he was saying is that we deserve to get something for what we're doing. And we may not have asked for it, but we still had the right to do so. Yeah. And so he withheld himself from that right because he didn't want to give the wrong impression. And I think that there is a balance with that. Like, you don't want to give people the impression that I'm just doing this for the money. Right. But at the same time, like, you, you know, you have a right to be rewarded for what you're doing because everybody goes to work and then they get paid. They get compensated in some way. And I think that when people are giving, you know, donations to the church tithe, there may be a portion of that that is given to the pastor or the, the preacher, whoever's yep. leading. And I think, you know, as long as that person is doing what they're called to do, if they're pouring something into you, if they're making your life better, if you can clearly see that and you feel impacted by it, then why does it bother you so much that it's going to that them? Is, like, yeah. That is, a, that is a perfect place to start it because, like I said, it is a controversial, difficult topic for some people. And I think part of it is because people have in their mind probably unfortunately the very high profile examples we have mm -hmm. of there are some preachers out there that it kind of seems like they're doing it for the yeah. money you know and there are stories that'll come out of these famous televangelist preachers that'll have you know multi-million dollar private jets and yeah. lots of cars and lots of whatever um most recently there was a really interesting um uh, Instagram page that was called Preachers and Sneakers, and it was uh, just a, 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 a Instagram page where they would post pictures of famous preachers and post pictures of their shoes that they were wearing and point out how expensive oh. some of these shoes were. You know, if any of you guys know, like, sneakerhead people that are, like, all into, like, connect collecting shoes, and you know some of these shoes can get very, very expensive. And it was interesting. They were just documenting a lot of these preachers wearing 
very, 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 very expensive (laughs) sneakers. And um, so it's a thing that's in the public eye a lot for a lot of people. And I think that's kind of the assumption people will understand whenever, whenever they hear someone in the church or a preacher or anybody asking about, you should give money to the church Mm -hmm. in the back of their mind. They're like, man, you're just going to use this to go buy your second car or another house or your real expensive sneakers or something like that. And, um, the thing that you're pointing out is, is I think really important to point out. I mean, statistically speaking, that is the outlier. That is not the normal, uh, statistically speaking, the average church leader makes significantly below the national average salary. When you consider the amount of education they have, the amount of hours they work and all of that kind of stuff, they make a lot less on average than what the, um, the average just American makes. And uh, I think that's important to point out to a lot of people. Um, Yeah, there's some people who abuse this system, but I I think you can just prove that the majority of people do it. Like you're saying, there are people that would do it anyways, whether they were getting paid or not. I know um, that is the attitude I have all the time, whether I was getting paid or not, this is something that's important to me. But the Apostle Paul's point about don't muzzle an ox, you know, he's using this example from the Old Testament, but the example is, like, don't make it harder on them to do the work that they need to do. Right. One of the ways you can make it easier is pay them for this time, pay them for this work that they're doing, and then it uh, will free them up to do better work. I know a lot of preachers that don't get paid very well by their churches, mm-hmm. so they end up having to go get another job to yeah. to pay the bills, and that's just taking time away from the effort that they can put into doing the ministry work that they do in the church. So I, I think that's a great point to start with. This is people's living yeah. mostly. This is a salary for work that they're doing, um, and it's not just frivolous money that they're going to use to spend on other things. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I was also going to mention the fact that sometimes you know they have to get a second job mm-hmm. because what they're doing is not paying them enough to just make a living off of. So right. they have to get a second job just so they can make ends meet, and. You know, and I think that people also have to consider if you want to get into the whole idea of like using your gifts, because everybody has gifts that they're passionate about that they Mm -hmm. want to use. And that particular person may have a calling on their life to be a pastor, to be Mm -hmm. a a preacher, to be a teacher in the Mm -hmm. church, to um, to do to be an apostle, you know, whatever the gift may be. And I think that you have a right to exercise that gift. And, you know, rewards, there are other rewards that come in the form of other than money. Sometimes you build up your reputation, you build up your name, you build up the name of the church, you build up, you know, you give glory to God, you know. So there's other rewards that come with that that don't have anything to do with money. But that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, have that, you know. For sure. And um, so I think that's definitely something to um, consider. So, but yeah. 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 The, uh, the, the the kind of balancing act that we have to do with a lot of this is um, understanding that it's stuff people need for a living. It's not just like frivolous money that they're using for whatever else it might, might be. Um, And I think a lot of church people understand that, which is why a lot of them don't necessarily have issues with tithing because they're like, yeah, no, I know that my, uh, the ministers in my church do a really good job Mm -hmm. of ministering to me. I know that they deserve to make a living, so I want to help out. And so you have a lot of church people that are cheerfully giving. And, you know, the Bible talks about that. The Lord loves oh, a cheerful yes. giver. <laughs> so you ha- I do think you have a lot. And I want to acknowledge that. I especially want to acknowledge here at Wayfarers, we are super blessed. I am so thankful for all of them. We, you know, we're a small church. We just have a few uh, people that are members here at the church. But, like, people here at the church give so well (laughs) we do not have issues with tithing here at wayfarers and i'm so thankful for all of the people who give um because it does help pay the bills around here helps pay salaries helps to do all of that kind of stuff and so i've been very thankful for all of our church members here who have been giving cheerfully very thankful for that but that's not everybody (laughs) there are some uh i don't know what's the opposite of cheerful uh begrudging 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 or 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 just kind of angry givers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so you, you talked about this a little bit last week when we were prepping for this episode, Ashley, but what are some of the reasons and things you hear from people about why they are, why they don't want to give, you know? Um, well, one was, you know, the young lady who we talked to at the party, she was saying she didn't understand why they had to be paid. Cause I think from her perspective, it was just kind of like, it's, it's charity work. 
Like, yeah. it's not something that you need to get paid for by a salary. Because I think that, and I think that's the difficult thing when you're trying to make a living off of it, or even just trying to make some type of partial living off of it. It's, there's a lot of controversy with that because like anything else, like if you are running a, a business, cause you know, I have, I know, you know, a few people who run their own business right? and you have the right to say to, to people like, well, if you want me to come do this or come do that, then I expect you to pay me a certain amount and people are fine with it. Right. But then when it comes to standing up in a church and you know, people are talking about giving tithes and there may be a portion giving to somebody who works there, it's like, it becomes an issue because mm-hmm. they don't look at it as a work or business. They look at it as it's charitable, like I said. And I think right. also, um, people, like, I think that kind of goes back to what you said, because I've had a, um, an old friend of mine who, um, we had a conversation where he said that he hates when he has, when he sees pastors whose houses are bigger than their church. Mm-hmm. And so when you have like this, you know, you live in this mansion, but then your char- church is so small. It's like, where's the money going to? So yep. his, his perspective was kind of like that. And I think, and this is another thing, um, is that people don't know where the money is going. And I think yeah. when people don't know where the money is going, they get very, skeptical about should I give and I think that's very important for leaders of the church to explain to the congregation well we're spending the money on this and I know that our pastor has done this before where he's talked about different projects or different Mm -hmm. um, things that need to be rebuilt or upkept at the church and he said well it's going to cost this amount of money and we would like for you all to you know, give, you know, whatever you can. And so it's like, it's, it's giving whatever you can. Like if you can only give 20 or $10, then, you know, give that. Right. Now somebody else may give more, they may give a hundred or 200, depending on where they are economically. But, mm-hmm. um, I think that the pastor should definitely make sure people know where the money is going to, yeah. um, don't put any pressure on anyone to give a specific amount or make someone feel guilty about not giving a certain amount right. because people have different levels of income. And so if somebody's willing to give, you know, give what they can. It's just like, you know, the woman in the, um, when Jesus was standing by the box where the people were yeah. tithing and the woman put in two pennies and it was like, she put in more than everybody else. Cause that was all she had. Right. So I think that when you're being a cheerful giver, and I think that that goes back to second Corinthians nine, six through seven, cause I actually put that down in my notes, but I yeah. put down the whole thing where it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves to show forgivers. So when you're mm-hmm. giving, you give out of your own heart. You're not giving out of obligation. And I think also understanding that when you're giving, that you're also doing something on behalf of God's people, which God takes notice of. Mm-hmm. And he may reward you in whatever way, because I think that people also have to understand that I think that sowing is also... A, a principle like a kingdom like a, yeah. like a key to the kingdom of heaven when you're sowing into somebody else and you're doing it not under compulsion but you're doing it because you genuinely want to give i feel like that that produces something in your own life and i'm not saying that that's necessarily going to produce like a thousand dollar check or a right. brand new house or a car but it can produce um because i know that god talks about how he gives us the power to get wealth so i think that sometimes it may come in the form of information mm-hmm. um for you or in the form of opportunity for you to do something for yourself so it's not the idea that you do something to get something in return but it's the idea that you understand that there are certain principles to that that when you're giving to someone else it's not just benefiting that person but it's also going to end up benefiting you as well Mm -hmm. because I know that sometimes people are motivated by their own personal interests so just throwing that out there because people want to know what am I going to get out of it if I give money to it and so understanding that if you sow into something and you do it from the right spirit with the right heart um you're going to get something out of it yeah yes and that's a that's a good thing to that's a controversial thing maybe in certain <laughs> circles. I know at least the the church circles I come from have been really big at trying to downplay that mm-hmm. because they've been afraid of what usually gets called the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. which is this idea of like, you give us money, you're going to get money. Right. And so I, I do think sometimes they've overcorrected and have ag- not acknowledged some of those real promises that I think are in the scriptures that a person who lives generously, mm-hmm. who gives of the money that they have or the wealth that they have will reap generously yeah and i just and i just want to say this too because and i think this is another thing that doesn't get enough attention like god does not hate for people to be wealthy Mm -hmm. like god does not because i think that there's like this sort of idea um that god prefers for people to be poor instead of wealthy you know because there's that verse that like a rich it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven that kind of thing and so i don't think it's it's kind of like the verse that says um the love of money is the root to all evil. It's not right. money that is the root to all evil. It's the love of money. 
Yep. So when you fall in love with money, then of course your interests and your motivations are going to be evil. But when yeah. you have money and you manage it properly, because I mean like God blessed Solomon with money. He was a very wealthy man. Yeah. And so like, and Solomon asked for, he asked for wisdom first, not for riches. And right. that was one of the reasons why God gave it to him because he wasn't pursuing money. He was pursuing the wisdom of God. Right. And so God gave him wisdom, but he also gave him riches. He did also give him riches. Right. And yeah. so it's the idea that it's not that God does not want us to be wealthy. He just wants us to know how to manage it properly mm -hmm. so that we have control over our money and our money is not controlling us. Right. And so. Right. Noah and I, we've talked about this a lot because um, you were saying to Noah, you've studied, isn't it Luke? of all the gospels that's like the most critical of, yes yes of wealth and acts because yeah and, yeah luke the gospel of luke and acts which are both written mm -hmm. by luke have this strong criticism of of wealth that gets uh misunderstood like you're saying by a lot of christians i think in this idea that god just hates rich people mm -hmm. and um and i do think that there's a very real thread all the way through the scriptures that God cares for the poor. The mm -hmm. poor are very important to him. So if you're trying to argue that that's not true, I, I don't know how you can argue that. The Bible is very clear. God cares about the poor. And it's also very clear that wealth means that there's going to be a lot of barriers or issues that are mm -hmm. going to make it harder for you to pursue God in that wholehearted way. And I think the main reason is just because when you're wealthy, you can kind of trust in those riches and you don't have to trust in God as much necessarily. Well, yeah. And I, I think we can bring in, uh, the scary story of Ananias and Sapphira is a good example of oh, this yeah. because, uh, I, I'm not sure how many people have read up on that story, but it's all about tithing. Like the whole situation that involves it is that the Jews of that century, uh, begin to sell their property and their entire whatever they live and they begin to live in each other's homes essentially and find other property. I don't know. The Bible's not very clear on where they ended up living after they sold their own property, but they would sell their own land that they owned and the money that they then earned from selling their land, they would then give to the church. And, and this story is in the book of Acts. Right? Book, yeah. It's in the book yep. of Acts. And, um, so they'd sell it and they'd give the money to the church and, uh, it, singles out Barnabas as like a chief example of someone that sold a bunch of land and gave it to the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira went in on the good looks of, of the, of being generous, of being like, that. Generous like that, yeah. but they don't want to give up their land. Mm -hmm. And so what they decide to do is they decide to give money. Like they tithe. It's not like they don't tithe. They tithe, but they don't sell the land and they lie. Well, they, they do sell the land, I think. I don't and think they, they just don't it. give all of the money. They don't give all of it. That's what it is. Yeah, give, yeah. So they sell the land. Yeah, that, you're right. They get right. a huge chunk of money mm -hmm. and they take a portion of it, mm -hmm. which is fine. Yeah. There's nothing in the Bible that says, in fact, the whole point of tithing we're saying is you take a portion of it. God's not even expecting you mm -hmm. to give me all of it. Yeah. He's saying, just give me 10%. So they do, we don't know how much they take, but it says mm -hmm. they take a portion of it and they go and they turn it into the church and they're like, hey, we're doing what everybody else is doing. Here's some money for, mm -hmm. for you guys. But they lie and they say that this is the whole amount. So mm -hmm. like, let's say they had a piece of property, they sell it for, what's the, what's the uh, talent? Yeah, yeah. A <laughs> hundred talents. I don't know. Yeah. I'm making something yeah. up. <laughs> let's say they sold the land for a hundred talents. <laughs> they give 50 of it to the church. And when the church is like, wow, you got 50 talents for your land. You're like, yep, that's what we got. 50 <laughs> talents. <laughs> and they keep the other 50 for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's it's uh, Peter that they're it's presenting this yeah, to, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Peter um, is told by the Holy Spirit, I believe, mm -hmm. that that that's not true. Mm -hmm. And he makes an example out of them, basically. And he says, "Listen, you guys are lying." <laughs> and that's the real problem: is that they're lying about this, and they're actually struck dead oh, right yeah. there in that Both moment for lying about. How much money? How much money they were giving yeah. to the church? And I think that. Oh no, go ahead. No, that's gonna, that's. I was just and I think the interesting thing is that um, he was saying that you lied to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like Peter saying you lied to me. He was like you lied to the Holy Spirit. So mm -hmm. I think that people don't consider their relationship with God when they're tithing because I think that they think it's all physical. They think that I'm giving my money to a person. This person's going to go out and buy a new pair of shoes, go mm -hmm. buy a car, go buy a house, go 
you know, invest in something that doesn't have anything to do with God. And I think that people are excluding your personal relationship with God when you're doing something like that, because um, I look at, you know, Psalm 24 and 1, where it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So I, I decided within myself, like a couple of years ago, that everything that I have belongs to God, like nothing mm-hmm. that I have belongs to me. So when God is asking me to tithe, he's asking me to only give him 10% of what he owns and allowing mm-hmm. me to keep 90% of what he owns. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm giving into the church, like hypothetically speaking, let's just say that somebody does misuse it. That mm-hmm. person is not robbing me. They're robbing God of mm-hmm. what belongs to him because that 10% belongs to him. Mm-hmm. So when they're robbing God of something, you know, it's just like what God says, the, you know, vengeance is the Lord's. It's like, you know, you can't really be worried about that. And mm-hmm. I think that if it does bother you that much, I think that's when you question you know, whatever authority figure is there and say, well, hey, where is my money going to? (laughs) And I think that if for some reason you feel like that that particular church can't be trusted, I don't think that that means that you withhold your tithes altogether. You just have to find the right place for you because maybe that church is in the right place for you. If you feel like your money isn't going to the right place. So I think you continue to be obedient to God because you still have to be obedient. You just find the right place to be obedient at. And so, (laughs) yeah. And that's, you know, we haven't gotten to this point yet, but one of our goals with Wayfarers is to post, to be really transparent and post a lot of our financials online all mm-hmm. the time so that people will um, know exactly how mm-hmm. our money is being spent. Um, so I'm working on that. I just haven't got around to doing that yet. The, the goal is to have that be something that just is on our website so people can post so that they know they can trust us and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I do think, unfortunately, that that is the problem sometimes is that people just don't trust the churches mm-hmm. that they're a part of. But my issue ultimately is if if you don't trust this church enough to give them money why are you attending that church like uh that brings into question a lot of the character of that leadership and if you don't trust their character on those sort of issues um that is um a bigger problem all around and ultimately i think that's what i would say is what i've noticed is kind of the relationship the whole Bible has with money, period. Mm -hmm. Because it does talk about money a lot. And Jesus, in fact, himself talks about money almost more than any other topic. I think it is the topic he talks about the most. It's like hell and money are like the the two things that come up a lot with Jesus. Mainly from Luke, but yes. Yes. He he talks Um, very little about money in John. (laughs) Yeah. And so he talks about money a lot, but it's because money is a good indicator of where your heart is. Mm Otherwise, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, If you are a rich person, sometimes it's easy to trust in your wealth. And you're like, I don't have to worry about anything. I got got a lot of money in my savings account. I got a lot of investments in stocks. I don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about anything. I've got money. And sometimes that can lead you to not trust in God as as you should. Money can also start to... Um just illustrate a lot of the state of your heart in general. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason Jesus and the Bible talks about money so much is just because it is a really good physical public indicator of the state of your heart. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think that, um, generosity, which is the idea of kind of, of giving money, or of anything, not just money, but just giving things to other people mm-hmm. um, is kind of the ultimate sign of a heart that has the right attitude <laughs> towards money and towards finances. Um, and I think that's why it, both in the Old Testament and you see later on in the New Testament, it is so important to God that his people would tithe mm-hmm. or be generous in general is just because when you get to that point to when you're being generous and you're giving money, then that just shows that your heart is in a good place where you, you trust God, you trust that God's going to give you enough. You're mm-hmm. not scared of giving away some money. Mm-hmm. Cause I think some people don't want to tithe cause they're just scared. You know, they're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, eat. I don't know how to, you know, and those are very real fears. And so you don't want to give anything cause you're afraid. And, um, the, the whole point is that sometimes you can, uh, by being generous in whatever way that is, that really helps to put your heart into the place that it should be, especially in relationship to God. So that's my whole roundabout way of basically just saying, I think money comes up so often because it is just, it's so directly connected with 
the state of your heart and the state of your attitude towards God. Um, it's not just kind of its own separate thing. It's, it is very spiritual in a way, you know? Yeah. And that reminds me of something I was looking at for the teaching I'm trying to put together. I was looking at it and I didn't really, um, the teaching isn't based around finances, but that did come up in the teaching. And I was looking at the different groups, like the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the Essenes. And I know when I was doing research about it, it talked about how they have different beliefs, how the Sadducees believe um, completely in free will, how God is aware of free will, but um, he, well, not aware of free will, but the fact that he's aware of what is going to happen, but he's not aware of the outcome, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. So he's not aware of any outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so he's not able to change anything because he's not sure what's going to happen. And the Mm -hmm. Pharisees um, have a mixed feeling about Mm -hmm. it. Like they believe that free will exists, but then God can intervene and change something Mm -hmm. to make an outcome the way he wants it to be. And then the Essenes complete the Essenes completely believe in predestination, like everything is predetermined, mm-hmm. and how like you know it, it, everything is the way that it is, and it wasn't any decision that you made; it was God decided, yeah. and that was it. And so when I was looking at it, I watched a very brief video of a of a man talking. I wish I could remember his name, um, but he was talking about how that kind of that social the socioeconomic factors of those different groups also plays in part because the Sadducees were a lot more wealthy; they tended yep. to be like the high priest in the, in the Sanhedrin. Right. And so you know, of course, like he was saying basically like that type of attitude when you have a lot of money you kind of tend to take responsibility upon yourself it's kind of like i, I did this yeah i, I did built this like i did this wealth. i, I built this it was my own free will it wasn't anything yeah. god did it was the hard work that i put in and so um also with and, the and the pharisees are similar because jesus yeah. also criticizes them i don't I, it might be in luke it's in one of the gospels uh there's even like a specific note where the author says that like the Pharisees didn't like this because they loved money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you see that with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had this um, very unhealthy relationship with money. And I think that that is a big reason that um, Jesus confronts them about it so much. Yeah. And, you know, with the, the esteems being poor, I guess it was like the idea yeah. that, you know, People don't want to say that they're poor because of what they did. It was like, it, it was just circumstance. Like, you know, mm-hmm. things happen that they couldn't control. And so it was the idea that, you know, a person's economic status, their socioeconomic status, how much money they're making can have an influence on their relationship with God. So I think that that's very, very yeah, true. Yeah, I, I remember I saw this really uh, clearly whenever I was a teenager, I took a short mission trip to uh, the country of Haiti which is the uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's like poor, the poorest country in this entire hemisphere, this entire half of the earth. Wow. Haiti is considered the poorest country. And it was the, it, it was the, I traveled a lot as a kid and a teenager, but Haiti was the most shocking to me because wow. of just how incredible the levels of poverty those people were living in. It was something that just completely changed me to this day. Um, I know that uh, uh, one of our worship leaders, uh, Reagan, she also had the same experience in Haiti. It just really changed her. What I remember uh, the first few days just being shocked by how poor the people were whenever I was there. You know, they had nothing. Like you talk about concrete shacks and dirt floors and Mm -hmm. not sure where their food's going to come from and not sure, you know, it's just, it's the most poverty I've ever seen. But I remember it all changed for me after a few days when we went to our first church service and we went to this church service and it was a little bitty cinder block hut, you know, square house, basically Mm -hmm. almost nothing dirt floors, uh, just some like cinder block pieces and some wood laid across it for people to sit and like a single like bare light bulb just hanging from the ceiling. That was it. Um, and I remember we went and they started playing, uh, music and singing and it was incredible. Like everybody, everybody in the church was singing, which my church context, I've been to so many church services where people are just like watching the people on stage sing. Everyone in the room was singing and the just like joy and authenticity of their worship and of their faith in that moment was like moving to me. And I remember on our way back, me and all of the other Americans were sitting there talking and we were just all felt the same thing. We were all just like, man, was that like the best worship service we've (laughs) ever been to? And everybody was like, yes, bar none. That was the best worship service we've ever been to. And the missionary that we were, that lives there long term, she was telling us, you have to understand 
these people have nothing mm -hmm. but God. Yeah. God is the only thing that they have to trust in. He's the only one that they can uh, have any sort of connection, relationship, ownership with. You know, they don't own anything. They own like a shirt, a pair of pants, and maybe shoes, most likely not shoes. They own nothing. They have nothing. And because of that, the preciousness of their relationship with God is so much more important to them because it's the only thing they have. <laughs> and um, and there's a real value there sometimes. And I think that's part of why God has this heart for the poor so often is because there's just less distractions. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. It is going to be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because you got a lot of distractions when you have a lot of wealth. And um, yeah, that's important to, 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 to bring up. And so I think that's why this idea of generosity and gratitude is so um, important to God and is something that is this common thread you see kind of all the way through because it's a way to counteract some of those negatives of money, you know? I'm wondering though, how you both would like balance that with his like decree that it shouldn't be under compulsion and mm -hmm. that, you know, like how do you both see that? Cause I do feel like a lot of sermons that I do hear preached on tithing do seem to be compulsive driven. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just curious both of y'all's perspectives on, What's the right way for a pastor to ask his congregation without for tithing in which they're great gracious to give, not feeling like they're pressured or forced to give? Like, what's the right way to do that? So this is where my more hot takes on tithing mm -hmm. <laughs> comes through. Mm -hmm. um, and this is at least some of the way I was brought up, but also just through my own study of it, I've kind of started to, to think about this a little bit more. Um, I use the word just because it's a common phrase in our culture right now, mm. but my preference would actually probably be not to use the word tithing mm. in a Christian context for giving, because I do believe tithing refers specifically to the act of taking 10% and giving it to the temple or to a priest. Mm -hmm. um, you see it in Genesis. You, Abraham takes 10% and oh. gives it to Melchizedek. He gives him a tithe. It's to a specific priest. Um, and in the Old Testament, you see them taking 10% and giving it to the temple and to the temple priests. So I think it's a very specific word that um, that refers specifically to that action in the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, theologically, I think the point is we're all priests. It's a church of everybody being a priest. So the language of tithing is a little bit problematic for me because I'm like, I don't, Tithing is something you do to a priest. Priests don't tithe to each other. <laughs> you know, we're all priests in some way or another. Um, we are all uh, a part of that, you know, priesthood of all believers that we are now a part of in the church. We don't have a temple. We don't have a, you know, and, and uh, specifically, I think historically, this is pretty verifiable. Um, prior to... I'm going to make this number up because I don't remember the specific number, but I, I believe it's like prior to like the 1900s. You don't really have the term tithing much in Christian writing. So post uh, the Bible all, for almost 2000 years, you don't have that term come up much in the church. Um, uh, and I think part of that is uh, because they understood tithing to be something that the Jews of the Old Testament did. And things are a little bit different as Christians specifically. This kind of changed, like I said, in the 1900s, you started to have a lot of very famous evangelical preachers who believed that tithing was something that still is in effect, even mm -hmm. for Christians today. Um, and um, that argument has gained a lot of traction and a lot of uh, popularity and I think that's why we've all grown up hearing the term and hearing people mm. preach it that way and preaching as like you take 10% and you give to the church. Um, again, my issues with it is that that kind of makes a, a connection between your church ministers, your church building and the temple, mm. which uh, is a problematic, uh, <laughs> like I even hate when people are like, don't you know, sometimes as kids, kids would like run inside the church building and people would be like, don't run. This is the house of God. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always like, 
no, this is not the house of God. <laughs> the people yeah. are the house of God. We are the temple now. <laughs> this building is not the temple. So all that to say, I'm less comfortable more and more using the term tithing because I think it's a temple term and I think it's a priestly term and I think we are in a new era of how God relates to his people and all that kind of stuff. Um, but all those verses you brought up and all those passages you brought up clearly show that it is still um, very important to God that Christians be generous. You know, we don't, just because tithing is not specifically the thing we do, does not mean that we get off the hook for giving, period. I don't think that's an option. Like you said, it's it's very clear from all those passages. Giving money and being generous and giving portion of your income is an expectation of, of, of kind of all Christians because of what it shows about your heart and because of what it shows about what's really important to you and because of it, it shows that you kind of have acknowledged who, where the real power is and all of that kind of stuff. The reason I'm still kind of comfortable and I understand why people still use the term is because I do think the fact that the tithe exists in the Old Testament and it is something that the Old Testament people did, I do think it gives us a good example of what generosity for a Christian should look like. My um, preacher at my church growing up gave an awesome example of this that I, I've always really, really loved. He... Um, we had this missionary that worked at our church who was going to go plant a church in the country of Kosovo in um, uh, Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, this missionary was home for a few months. He was raising money before he was going to go over to Kosovo and start a church. And I remember our preacher, this missionary's name was Brian. So our preacher brought Brian up onto the stage and he told everybody, this is Brian. He's going to start a church in Kosovo. He said, I want to teach you guys about generosity today, and I want to teach you a little bit about tithing and some ideas like that. So um, he picked two random people from the audience, and he brought those two people up. Uh, I don't remember who the people were, but let's just say one of them was Josh and one was uh, Mike. So uh, he, he brings Josh over, and he says, all right, Josh, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a hundred dollars and he pulled out a hundred dollar bill or he pulled out five $20 bills, you know, he showed him. Nope. He would have had $10. So it was like, you know, 10, $10 bills. And he showed it to the whole congregation, 10, $10 bills. Here's a hundred dollars. He said, I'm going to give this to Josh. Um, on one condition, he said, uh, I'm going to give you this $10, this hundred dollars only if you give $10 to Brian so he can take it to plant his church in Kosovo. And the dude was like, yeah, sure. That's great. I'll take a hundred dollars if it means I have to give $10 to Brian. So he does, he hands him the $10. He takes one of those tens, walks over, hands it to Brian, walks off the stage. And so basically he was like in advance, Josh had to agree to the terms. Josh had to be like, okay, you only get this money. If you agree, you're going to give $10 to Brian. So he did, he got it. It was great. The other guy, Mike, walks up and he says, all right, Mike, here's the thing. I've also got uh, $10, $10 bills here. He said, I'm going to give it to you. No stipulation, <laughs> you know, uh, on how much. You just need to give something to Brian. So he said, I don't care how much you give. I don't care what amount you give. I don't care if you go make change and you say you only want to give him a dollar. I don't care if you want to give him $20. I don't, you know, I don't care. Whatever you want to do. It's fine. I'm going to give you this hundred dollars. I just want you to be generous. Um, so then he turns to the audience and he asks them, what do you think's the minimum that Mike is going to give? He's probably going to give at least $10 because the other guy gave $10. If you give less than that, it's kind of a weird precedent to set. It's kind of like you're being a little stingy. It's kind of like what, you know, what's, what's the big deal? That to me is the, the function that tithing is supposed to play for the Christian life. It kind of is just a baseline that God set of just mm -hmm. like, here's kind of like the basic minimum here's cause you know, God used to require the Jews to do a lot of things. Like it was, it was more like that first situation. I'm going to give you this only if you promise to do this. There was a very transactional, very like regimented way that they were supposed to do it. And that's what the tithe kind of was for a lot of them. It was, this thing, this part of the law that they agreed to, they were like, yes, we agree. We're going to do that. Um, 
in the New Testament, I don't know, this is my hot take, I don't know that we have the same requirement, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But the Old Testament has at least set a baseline precedent that God thinks a, a good solid number to start with is 10%. And so if you're going to give less than 10%, I'm kind of just like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what that's about. If you're trying to be generous, God gave you a good just like baseline in the Old Testament. He used to require to them to give at least 10%. You can at least do that. In fact, I think sometimes the New Testament is even a little bit more it goes further than that. Um, like you were saying, the early Christians were basically giving everything. Yeah. They were just like 100%. Here is everything that we are giving. And um, the apostle Paul, when he's raising money in some of those passages, he, he there's a verse where he says, I want everybody to set aside some money. And he tells them to set it aside in a portion with their income. So he wants you to think of how much money you make and just set a proportional aside amount. Although what's kind of funny is the Thessalonians give way more, even though they're way more poor. Yep. And the mm-hmm. Corinthians give way less, even though they're way more rich. Yep. And so he has to come down. That's why the verses are the way they are that you read is because he's coming down against the Corinthians because they like gave you, he's less. Like, you guys are being stingy. Come on. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about how much this other church gave and you guys aren't giving as much. And I think that kind of, they go back to when you were talking about with Haiti. I think that, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're used to not having a lot, it's like giving away more. It's, it yeah. doesn't really seem like nothing because you pr- practically have nothing. Yeah. So it's like, you're willing to give more, but I feel like when you have more, you want to hold on. You want to hold on yeah. to it. And so, you know, my, my basic hot take is I think we're more in the second category now, like that second person. God is not giving us the requirements like he used to give the Jews. He's not saying mm. you have to give 10%. He is saying, don't be greedy, be generous, be a cheerful giver and pay some portion of your income to help maybe some of your church leaders. I think that's what God says. Mm-hmm. He lets you decide what that amount is, mm. I would say. But there's some societal pressure yeah. there. No, yeah, he he lets you decide what it is. But if you're looking at the whole story of God, you know that at least at one point in time he required them to give 10%. So if he's saying you can give whatever you want, I think you should at least start with 10%. Mm. The goal being you want to give more than that probably. And I think mm. that that's where Christians should be is just generous enough to want to give more. The other thing that makes it a little difficult is I don't there were there was actually more than one tithe in the Old Testament, and this is the thing that a lot of tithe preachers, when they're preaching about tithing, they don't bring up. Like, you tithed for all kinds of different things. Noah, you would probably yeah. know better than I. Do you remember what all the different? Are you talking about like the were? grain offerings? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So like it depending. It's mainly for when they would go up to the temple to make sin offerings and Thanksgiving offerings. And there's a bunch of different offerings that you could give to the temple. Some for just worship situations. Some for if you knew you had committed a sin and you needed right. uh, forgiveness for it. A lot. There were a lot of different stipulations for what you had to give for that offering to the temple. And uh, it was different depending on your wealth income. Yeah. Um, so if you were fairly wealthy, the stipulation was you gave like a bull, you know, or a heifer. Um, if and, you were like, and this is the point one, one of my professors made this point because mm-hmm. he was one of the first ones to got me to start questioning yeah. some of these ideas. One of my professors in grad school pointed out that the, the old Testament actually has like a sliding scale of how much you give yep. based on, your, your income, income. Yeah. Uh, and which was unheard of and, that time. and he said that there's even some exempt exemptions for tithing, like some people mm-hmm. that would even not have to, if they were too poor. Yep. Yeah. So is that um, like, um, I, yeah. I just thought of this, but uh, it was, I know that based on the income they had to give different animals. Right. Yeah. Like if, so if someone so if was you, more wealthy, they'd yeah. have like an ox or a sheep, but if someone was really poor, I think they gave like doves. Right. Or grain. Yeah. Or grain. Yeah. Right. And so, um, his whole point was that I think God understands that we have different levels of wealth and different abilities to give. Mm-hmm. And at least when I've heard preachers talk about tithing, they don't talk about that. They're always mm-hmm. just like, everybody should give. <laughs> And there's less of a understanding of like the different levels of wealth and different things like that. And so I still kind of end up at the same point. So it's, this is just a weird theology preacher point that I'm passionate about these days. Um, I still think we should be generous. 
I still think 10% is a really solid number to start with. I don't know why you would give less than that, because obviously that is kind of the baseline that God set up in the Old Testament. My only thing is just, I don't know that we should think of it as something that we are forced to do. Because that was your point. I do think the uh, the Jews didn't have a choice because yeah. they were a part of a covenant with God. And mm-hmm. part of that covenant, part of the requirements of that covenant was tithing. Yep. Um, the difference with us now, I think the tithing gives us a good baseline for the generosity that God still wants us to have. But I think the, the, the limits are kind of endless now. We can be as generous as we want to. Although in, in that story that I mm-hmm. gave of the of my preacher, what's really interesting is that second person where my preacher was like, hey, just give some of it. I don't care how much you give. That person gave all $100 to Brian. He he turned and gave all $100. It was really interesting because the first guy who had like walked off stage with his like $90 actually came back on stage and gave the rest of his 90 to Brian as well. So Brian ended up leaving with like $200. But that second person felt free to give all 100 Mm. because he didn't have any rules. The, the, preacher was like i just want you to give something i don't care what you give and once he was freed from that That limit yeah yeah, that rule you know the first guy had a rule you got to give ten dollars so that's what he did the second guy you can give whatever you want and he was like i just want to give it all to brian (laughs) i didn't have this money before i came in here i don't need it let me give it to you and that generosity that he showed actually impacted the first person to give his money as well and i think that's a good example of what Christian generosity should look like and a little bit of why I sometimes have issue with tithing because I feel like we're setting the bar too low. I think we could be as generous as we want to. I just think tithing is a good Old Testament baseline of the type of generosity that we should even surpass maybe in the New Testament. Yeah, it's almost like if you set a bar, people are always going to figure out like how to like get under it or just meet it. Whereas if you give a gradual more broad statement rule people are going to be more thoughtful about it almost i guess right. I, th- that's kind of what i'm hearing you say yeah um is and that, so like, i do a think strict stipulation sort of has us okay let's just give this whereas like yeah a, a bit more of a the new testament philosophy seems to indicate like have a more heart perspective mm-hmm. on it than anything let your so, heart be in it yeah. be generous because generosity is important don't love money. Don't love greed. Mm-hmm. Don't be, have all these issues that money brings about. Use the example of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they gave at least 10%. Keep that in mind when you're mm-hmm. giving. But there's no rule. Just be generous. Mm-hmm. Be gen- as generous as you want. And it's be. funny because uh, the Old Testament actually ends in Malachi with the Israelites giving like like a blemished lamb and like the lamb that like had a broken foot or whatever to the temple. Cause yeah. they were like trying to find like whatever way possible to, to like break the rules, to break the rules so that they're still following the rules, but not cause they're given like an animal that's blemished and God like calls them out and it ends in this really odd place where it's like, it seems like tithing failed cause they yeah. just found like an out, you know? Yeah. Um, or they just didn't follow the rules. Cause that's yeah. the thing you see mm-hmm. a lot is they just were like not, yeah. Not about the rules. And so um, my only point is uh, I do think I, I want to give Christians a little bit more freedom and just say that the the command is, gen- is to be generous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What that looks like, you have some freedom to, mm. yeah. to articulate. Um, the tithing from the Old Testament is maybe just a good baseline for us. Mm. I'm uncomfortable yeah. with... Uh, what I'm mostly uncomfortable with is with preachers who require tithing from Christians mm. mm-hmm. because um, it feels like requiring an Old Testament thing yeah. Yeah. for New Testament yeah. people. Because I never thought about it from that perspective until you broke it down and explained it. But yeah, I guess now when you think about it, um, it's kind of like a, a principle that they had under the law. And mm-hmm. now that we're no under, under the law and that we have freedom and we have grace, it's like it does make sense that when we're giving money to the church, it should be an aspect of freedom to that. Like we shouldn't be held under a law. Right. Um, to it. And so I never thought about it like that, but that's actually a really so good point. So the point is we, sh- we we actually have freedom to be- give even more now, I yeah. think is the point. Yeah. And I've tried to do that a little bit. I've tried to just, ex- I've tried n- to be less rule oriented about it mm-hmm. and less keeping track of all my money and being like, am I, am I giving 10% to something? Yeah. And I'm just trying to have an attitude of generosity in general towards my finances. I, we try to, my wife, Adrian and I, we try to keep track of it a little bit and like be... We're trying to give at least 10% mm-hmm. just because I think, like I said, that's a good baseline. 
but I'm not trying to set it as like a line item tithe. You know, I had a preacher once that tried to tell me because I was making this argument and he was like, no, that's not true. He said tithing's not part of the law because um, cause it's pre Mount Sinai, pre Ten Commandments, pre everything like that. And he uses the example of Abraham where Abraham does tithe to the order Melchizedek. of Melchizedek. Yeah. And so he's like, see, that's before law. So it's mm-hmm. not a part of the law. But the problem I have with that is like, so is like animal sacrifice mm-hmm. and it, Abraham does that too. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and we don't, we're not building altars up yeah. on our yep, uh, stages yep, and burning yep. animals on there because obviously we understand that the sacrifice of Jesus has fundamentally changed how we relate to God is yeah. the point I'm saying. And so I'm starting to start like a, a sound like an apocalyptic Paul. <laughs> it, it is very apocalyptic <laughs> for me, but it, it has fundamentally changed how God, how we relate to God and how God relates to us. He's accomplishing his mission. And I just think a big part of that mission is teaching his people not to be like closed fisted, mm-hmm. uh, uh, greedy people. But he wants us to be generous. Yeah. Yep. And he doesn't want to set a limit on that generosity. And I think that's a good point. I think that might encourage people to tithe more if they feel like there's an aspect of freedom to it so they don't feel like required to give a certain amount. Yeah. Um, if they just feel that. But I did have a, a two part question. Sure. Um they, they're unrelated to one another, but they're still on top. Now the first I know we talked about how there were different forms of tithing in the Old Testament. And I was wondering if this one was because I didn't think about it as being a tithing because I think in it may call it that in certain versions, but I think um, there was that part in the Old Testament where it talks about the census tax, where they all had to pay that tax in order to prevent a plague from coming on. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's considered a tithe or not, or if that was something completely different. Are you talking in uh, Kings or? No, it wasn't Kings. I want to say it may have been in numbers because this was census. So it had to be in numbers, I'm thinking. Mm, so where they okay. had to pay that, because I think ev- in that situation, everybody had to say, pay the same amount no matter what. Yeah. And yeah. so that may not, I don't know if that's considered yeah, tithing. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I would put that under the qualification of like a, a law in the Old Testament just for their entering into the land of uh, uh, Canaan. Because I don't think they ever do that again, do they? Um, not that I'm aware of. You have like the tax for like the king that's going to mm-hmm. tax them, but I don't think there's ever like a census tax again until they get taken over by like Rome and then they have to do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't I'm think. Uh, I'm going to claim ignorance completely <laughs> here because I don't even know what you're talking about. I, 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 I like to admit when I don't know and I don't know of that. that yeah. I'm going to look into it. That's a really good, uh, that's a good question to ask ourselves. What is the principle we can learn a little bit from that specific example mm-hmm. um maybe in numbers or wherever well well if you, we, if, you do, if you make the dive into numbers it's it's a wild journey yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can uh <laughs> maybe we can uh table that one we'll come back to it because we still want to talk about a few other things and you know we got plenty of time we're bringing you on again next week too yeah. ashley so you know, we do, I, do we have room for one more question? we've got time for that second question we can end okay on that. so i know i asked you this last week but this was like when the cameras and stuff were, were yeah. off but i know i talked about the issue of tithing and marriage because um, I know that I said that I had a cousin who she tithes, but her husband does not. Right. And so she was saying the reason that her husband does not tithe is because, you know, once again, he doesn't know where the money is going. He doesn't really yeah. trust the situation. So instead of tithing with his money, he takes his money and he uses it just to help someone else. So I guess because I know that you're married, I guess yeah. I wanted to know your perspective on what ex- does that affect like any type of blessing in the marriage when you have one person who's giving to the church or giving to the ministry and the other person is not though it's a it's an interesting question um i'm gonna preface this by saying i'm gonna put this stronger in my opinion i'm not gonna put this as much of a you know paul even says that sometimes this is my opinion this yeah. is the word of the lord I'm, I'm gonna say this is just what i think in my opinion i'm not as confident saying that i've studied this through all the way through or even to say that this is something the bible would say i don't know that that's the case but personally my opinion um I do think the Bible talks about when you become married, the two flesh become one, you know, mm-hmm. two become one is kind of the whole language. Um, uh, you, you leave your father and mother and you become mm-hmm. one flesh. Um, that's language that comes all the way through the Bible. And uh, personally, I think one of the most beneficial things in marriage is to have that be the case with as much as possible. At least when I've done premarital counseling for couples that are about to get married and even some of the counseling courses I took, um, money is 
I want to say it's 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 one of the top five reasons mm. for divorce. Yeah, Money, it is. is it, it, arguments. It may be the top. It is the top. Is it the top it's one? Yeah, because I've heard that statistically that's one of the main reasons people for, get divorced. Yeah. yeah. And so the usual advice in marriage counseling is um, to not have separate bank accounts mm -hmm. and to not have separate money period mm -hmm. and to have transparency even between the couple as to where everything should be together um that advice is advice uh adrian and i have taken to heart so we don't we we both have separate jobs but they get deposited in the same bank account mm -hmm. all our bills come out of the same bank account we both have access to the same bank account mm -hmm. and all our financial decisions for the most part are made uh, jointly we make them together so it's not like i'm deciding what to do with my money and she's deciding what to do with her money um we try to make all those decisions together money decisions especially we try to make it's like our together. money not one person our money right, is right. kind of the attitude i try to take about it so it is interesting to think about what would be the ramifications how does that affect a marriage but i would want to take a step further behind that and just be like well wh why do you have that attitude about mm -hmm. one person's money versus another person's money and uh, why are you sort of uncomfortable? Which you know, I I just wanted to have, I would want to have that conversation. Um, I would want to ask why why do you use that language? Why do you think of it as my money, your money? Why isn't it our money? And why aren't those decisions being made together? Um, that would be the uh, the the thing that I would want to get to more. And when you have those decisions together when you don't even have that option, you know, then it'll force you as a couple to try to decide together. Now, um, do you think that it affects them spiritually? Give? Like if God sees one spouse doing one thing with the money and then something else, does that affect them spiritually in any way? Or? I, I'm not sure. I, I do think that the attitude of, um, obedience that one spouse is showing, mm -hmm. you know, or the attitude of just trust that one spouse is showing and the attitude of uh, um, maybe suspicion that the other spouse is showing mm -hmm. can be um, sort of a, a, a difficult kind of division between the mm -hmm. two of them. Um, but I think there's lots of times when God blesses both people because one person is being yeah, faithful. Yeah, that, uh, that reminded me so. of something that Paul said in his letters. I think it had to do with one spouse that was a believer that in another mm -hmm. one wasn't. I think he said something like, I don't, I don't know it word for word, but it was something along the lines of how that person's salvation could kind of be that other person's saving grace or their salvation. Yeah, and there's a interesting one that could be a whole nother deep dive. There's a very interesting verse where- It also applies to their children. Talks about their children, oh. yeah. Um, it says that uh, children are affected by the obedience of their parents. Mm -hmm. And it encourages, if you have two spouses, one that believes, one doesn't believe, um, it encourages the believing spouse to stay faithful for the sake of their marriage and their children. Mm -hmm. And so um, my, my attitude that's been changing a lot is just towards God is that I think the reason he wants us to be generous, and maybe this mm -hmm. is just a good point to end on, is because he is generous himself. Mm -hmm. This is the, the thing that you see throughout all of the Bible is that God is generous. generous. God wants to give good gifts. This is the thing I've been saying all the time. So I don't know what God would do in that situation, but what I do know is God is less of like a, a like keeping a tally, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, you gave and you didn't give, so none of you get anything. No. Um, I, the thing I see about his attitude in general is just he, he, he wants to bless you. He wants to bless us. He wants to give you blessings. He wants to open those, those uh, floodgates of heaven for us. Um, so if I had to lean one way or another, I think God is a God of generosity who wants to bless. And I think he would want to do that. But And I could take that like, you know, how the analogy of like a husband and a wife is the analogy of Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. And we receive so much grace because of what Jesus because of did, what Jesus did mm -hmm. you know? And like, if you were to say it, Jesus is the husband. And so the husband gave his own life, gave his blood, gave his, you know, all for everyone else really. And we give so little and give so meagerly 
um, back to God only mainly through worship and yet like we're still adopted as sons and considered in the same love as we as he does his own son so I think if you look at that example and then compare it to like just a spouse that gives a lot and a spouse that gives very little I think the same rules would apply just based off of that so yeah that's a good point, but that makes me want to ask more questions, which I know we don't have time for. So. Unfortunately, we are finishing up, but uh, it can be uh, we can we can keep going a little bit with the conversation next week. So this is something else for uh, all of those of you who've been watching with us to tune into. Um, the I feel like this is just the thing that comes up all the time whenever we're talking about this. It just opens up right. other questions and other areas and other ways that we want to go with it. Um, so um, I guess. This is just going to be the teaser. You got to keep tuning in to hear us <laughs> talk about a little bit more of what we have been doing. Um, I want to encourage any of you, those of you that are watching this Sunday, we are doing a really special service in partnership with several other local churches. It's going to be at uh, Park Village Christian Church, which is across the parking lot from the chapel building where we usually do our services here at Wayfarers. So this Sunday at six o'clock, not seven, we're going to be meeting over at the Park Village Christian Church for a joint worship service together with a few other churches. I think it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be a really good opportunity. So any of you, those of you watching who want to come and be a part of that, I would encourage you come visit us there. Otherwise, I hope that you uh, join us again next week for our Deep Dive podcast. Um, we're going to have uh, our friend Tom on again next hey. week. Uh, I forgot to mention, Tom is uh, also going to be a regular guest with us on here. He, I think he's uh, watching with us right now. So shout out to Tom. Uh, he he was not on today. He got his second um, COVID vaccine today and uh, is playing it safe on some of the side effects. You know, mm. you've probably heard stories. People get that second shot and it like knocks him out. Um, wow. So we're uh, praying for Tom, hoping that the uh, <laughs> hope he feels better, feels better, um, that does not have a lot of effects from that second vaccine. We're excited to have him on next week. Maybe we can get a little bit of his input on some of these topics and we can kind of keep going with some of the deep dive on this specific issue. So we hope it's been edifying to you and we hope to uh, see you guys either this Sunday or next week for our following deep dive podcast. Bye everybody. Later. Bye-bye. Yeah.